I was a part of a church uh, several years ago that I love being a part of this church. It was such a great church. We, uh, we were a close-knit community, had great, deep relationships with one another. Uh, it was a really cool experience for me to be there. Um, one Sunday, there was a family that came and joined us for that, that Sunday, and um, they were visitors just coming, coming that one day, and um, it happened to be that the, the guy, the man, was a, a pastor. And so this was a pastoral family, and they were on vacation, and they decided to join us for that Sunday. Well, later that week, uh, the pastor wrote us a letter. He wrote uh, the letter to our pastor. And in the letter, he shared some things that he was very impressed by, um, things that stuck out to them that they were just like, oh, you guys did this well. And then he shared one thing that we didn't do so well. He shared one thing we pretty much failed at, actually. Not one person made them feel welcome. They came that Sunday, and nobody really said hello. Now, the letter was written very well, very gracious, um, and, and it, was, it was such a helpful letter. I mean, he wasn't trying to tear us down or anything, but he's more just trying to point out a blind spot. Nobody made them feel welcome. He described how they came in just a couple minutes before the service started, and they sat down in the back, and nobody really said anything to them. And then in our services, we would always have a greeting time a few minutes after. We'd sing a song, and then, um, then we'd stand up and greet one another like we do. Nobody shook their hands. Nobody went up and said hello. And a lot of times after the service, a lot of people would stay in the sanctuary and, and visit and catch up a li- little bit, and we'd, we'd have good conversations, but nobody went up to them, struck up a conversation with them. Nobody did that. We didn't, feel, we didn't make them feel welcome. The family was inside our church building, but they were outside our fellowship. They were outside our church. We're a close church. We had deep relationships with one another. We really uh, did a good job of loving one another. But we got so focused on those relationships that we missed a family, a new family, walking into the doors for the first time and didn't make them feel welcome. Now, since this family was a pastoral family, I think, you know, they, they were okay. The gospel wasn't damaged too much in their own minds. They, they walked away all right. But what if they weren't a pastoral family? What if they weren't even, you know, followers of Jesus? What if they were asking questions like, I want to know who this Jesus guy is, and, and they show up wanting the answers, and all they got were clicks and exclusion? How many families did we miss in the years that came in with that mindset and we didn't make them feel welcome? We didn't have a starting point for being able to show and tell the gospel. This family came in and we missed an opportunity. And I think it's something that we can learn as Cherry Hills for our series. We're in a series called Disciple Makers. We're looking at what it means to become disciples who make disciples. And we're looking at different moments in the life of Jesus and in other places in the Bible, and we're learning how to do this well. And so we've been asking this question over and over again throughout this series. So if you're following along in the message notes, we're asking this question. Are we becoming disciples who make disciples? Are we becoming disciples who make disciples? Last week, Pastor Steve, he gave us the big how of making disciples by showing and telling the gospel. By showing and telling the gospel. That's what we're called to do. 
This is how we make disciples. How is it then that we begin to do this? What's the starting point for showing and telling the gospel? That's the question we want to ask today. How do we begin to do this? So if you're following along in the notes, the question we're going to answer today, what is the starting point for showing and telling the gospel? You know, the the church that I was a part of, we didn't even get off the starting line. So where do we begin? How do we begin to do this? Well, today we're going to look at a story of Jesus calling another one of his disciples. Several weeks ago, we talked about the calling of Peter, James, and John, you know, throwing out their nets and and becoming fishers of people. Well, today we're going to look at the calling of Levi. And so if you would, grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. And if you want to grab one of the, the, the seat rack Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, go ahead and do that. We'd love to have you follow along. If you don't own a Bible, uh, go ahead and take this with you. This is our gift to you. Um, but the page number in that Bible is 719. So the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, beginning at verse 27. So if you would, follow along with me. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So what we've got here is a story about invitation. We see Jesus walking along, and he comes upon Matthew. And he invites Matthew, or Levi, to follow him. And so he's been, he's been traveling around, he's been making disciples, been sharing about the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. And he sees a tax collector by the name of Levi. Now, it's really interesting, the, the starting place of all this, Jesus is going around and he sees Levi. This is already in contrast to the story I shared about my former church. We didn't see the family that walked in our doors. We, we were blind to them. We, we didn't even notice, but Jesus... He sees people. And not only does he see people, like see them, but he sees them. He sees into their situations. He sees their struggles. He sees their predicaments. He sees them as people. He sees Levi. And there's certain things that come to mind already as he sees Levi. He knows something about him. And he invites him to follow him. So Jesus sees Levi and he goes to him where he is. So if you're, you're following along in the notes, we want to get this idea out first, because I think this is really important. Jesus sees us and meets us where we are. Jesus sees us and meets us where we are. For those of you that have maybe been following Jesus for a while, you may have a few stories in your life where you hit a moment where you were just overwhelmed. Where things got really tough and you just didn't know what to do and so you turned to Jesus and you prayed, Lord, help me through this. And Jesus saw you. And he met you where you were and he brought you through it. 
He didn't necessarily make it easy or completely take it away, but he brought you through something. Jesus sees us where we are, and he meets us there. He doesn't leave us out to the side and come to me. No, no, no. He goes to us. He meets us where we are and brings us along. This is, this is the starting place for Jesus. This is his heart. He sees people, and he meets them where they are. He does the same for us. Okay, so Jesus, he sees Levi, and he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just meet him where he is. He says something. He says, follow me. Come with me. Jesus extends an invitation to Levi to follow him. And so if you're following along in the notes, Jesus invites us to follow him. Jesus invites us to follow him. In the same way that Jesus invites Levi, invites Matthew, to follow him, he invites us the same way. You see, Levi was a tax collector. And, and if you know anything about tax collectors, you know that they were hated in their society. They were a group of Jews, people that, as the Romans came in and took over stuff, they're like, we want some people to, to collect our taxes for us. So who's willing to do that? And these guys, yeah, I'll do it. And by doing that, they were rejecting their rich tradition, the heritage, the history, their very identity as Israelites. Because what Rome had them do is said, here's what we want. Here's the amount of money we want you to collect. Anything else you get, it's yours. They, they got to extort people. They got to steal. They got to take people's land from them. And they got to keep it. And by doing this, they were rejecting their identity as the people of God, as Israelites. So people hated them. They were traitors. And people wanted nothing to do with them. So they were, they were on the outside. People shunned them from the community. And, and in some ways, rightfully so. But Levi, as a tax collector, was hated. He was shunned. He wasn't invited in. He was put on the outside. And nobody wanted anything to do with him. Jesus knew this about him. Levi was on the outside. He wasn't included. Levi knew what it was like. He knew that he, he was on the outside. He needed someone to invite him in. And that someone was Jesus. Jesus opened the door for Levi to come in back into connection, into relationship, to fellowship with people. This is what he offered Levi. And so we can actually see this play out a little bit. In John chapter 15, Jesus is talking with his disciples, and that includes Levi, the tax collector. I want you to listen to the language that Jesus uses here. Listen to how he talks. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. I chose you. You are my friends. This is the language that Jesus is using with his disciples, including the tax collector, Levi. Jesus invites him in. Maybe you can relate to Levi. Maybe you know what it's like to be on the outside. 
You've had a group of friends that you like to hang out with, but suddenly you, you realize that they're starting to do things without you. They're hanging out on the weekends, going places, and suddenly you realize, oh, they, they did something together. They've got inside jokes that you don't understand. You just suddenly are on the outside looking in, watching them enjoy the relationships they have with each other. Or maybe you've had a church experience like this family had. You went to a church and, man, you didn't feel like you were a part of that group at all. You were inside their church, but, man, you were looking, looking from the outside. Maybe you know what it's like. Jesus invites us in. That's what the gospel is all about. He's opened the door for us to reconnect back to him, back to other people. Now, Levi, Levi knew what it was like to be on the outside. And I think that's really important to get this idea in our minds because if, if Levi, he knows what it's all about, he knows what it's like to be on the outside, he, he understands his need. And it's when he understands his need that he can respond to Jesus. So if you're following along in the notes, we've got this idea. Those who realize they need Jesus will receive him. Those who realize they need Jesus will receive him. Levi was on the outside. He knew what it was like to be separated from other people. Knew what it was like to be separated from God. Because he had rejected his identity. But now... Jesus was offering him something really good. He was offering him a way back in. This is the invitation. He knew that, so he was ready to receive it. Maybe you know what it's like to be on the outside. And maybe you realize, yeah, there's, there's something that we need, that I need. Someone to open the door. That's exactly what Jesus is doing. The gospel is all about Jesus inviting us in. So this, that's the first, first idea. Jesus invites us in. I got that down. Maybe you're starting to think, okay, Jesus invites us in. I'm sensing there's going to be a contrast coming. There's somebody that's going to do it differently, right? Enter the Pharisees. The Pharisees show up in our story, and they provide the contrast. They provide the, the inconsistency here. And here's what the Pharisees do. They, they were closed up. They were closed up. Let's, let's go take a look at what happens when they, when they show up at Levi's party. Verse 29. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? So here we see Jesus at Levi's house. It's a bunch of tax collectors. They're eating together. Now, we know eating together, usually you get together with your friends, you have dinner, and, and we, we understand that, right? But we're also willing to eat with people we don't know, maybe strangers or whatever. In this culture, eating together was a very big deal. It was a sign of relationship, of friendship. Like there was an openness, that, that weighty sort of thing when they got together and ate. So this is a, a big thing that Jesus is doing. Now, the Pharisees, they see this, and they complain. They complain to his disciples. They don't, they don't ask, well, why are you doing that? No, they complain, why are you doing that? It's almost like they're saying, hey, what's going on here? You're not, you're not supposed to do this. Do you know who they are? They're traitors. They're sinners. They're tax collectors. You can't associate with them. 
That's almost what's going on in their minds. Now, granted, the, the tax collectors, they made some mistakes. They did some wrong things. They took advantage of people. But the mindset of the Pharisees, there's something, there's something off when compared to Jesus's, right? The Pharisees at this time, they were the, the religious leaders. They were the big wigs, the professional clergy, if you will. And everybody looked to them to understand how religious life was supposed to look. They would spend their time studying the scriptures and they would learn the best that they could and try to live out what religious life they were supposed to, what God wanted them to do. And one of the things they saw in the Old Testament was this idea that God wanted his people to be different. He wanted them to stand out, to be set apart almost. And they latched on to this. They latched on to this idea and planted it deep in, in their hearts. And over time it became twisted. And it twisted some more and twisted more until it came out as, we are supposed to be special. We're God's special people. And we can't be with those unspecial people. And so this separation sort of idea grew. They were God's special people. And they could have nothing to do with unspecial people. So, if you're following along in the notes, the Pharisees cared more about being special than about God's mission in the world. They cared more about being special than about God's mission in the world. They wanted to make sure that they were special, even more special than some of the Israelites. And this meant that they could not associate with anyone that wasn't like them. But they forgot something. They were missing a piece in the puzzle, an element in the equation. They were forgetting something that from the very beginning they were supposed to have kept in mind. When God started the whole project, when he showed up the first time with this guy Abraham, he said something that was really, really important. He talked to Abraham and he's like, I'm going to do something really big in the world. And we get in Genesis 12 what God wants to do. So you can see these words. Here's, here's what God's saying to Abraham. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. You will be a blessing to all people. This is what they forgot. It wasn't about them receiving the blessing and keeping it to themselves, but rather they were to bless the other nations. Bless the people around them. There was an outward focus in what God was doing. And they forgot this. They forgot that they were meant to be outward. They were meant to bless other people. They forgot this. They got wrapped up in being special, and so this led them to close up. They couldn't associate with any other peoples that weren't like them. If people weren't special enough, man, we're, we're holding to ourselves. We can get that way sometimes too, can't we? I mean, think back to my church. We, we had great relationships with one another. And we, we really valued and, and, and cared for one another. But man, there were times when this special idea where we wanted to be special seeped into our minds and we forgot about other people. This is what happens when we let that mindset permeate everything we do. So if you're following along in the notes, this mindset leads to separating ourselves from people inwardly and outwardly. 
This mindset leads to separating ourselves from people inwardly and outwardly. Sometimes this happens intentionally. I think like the Pharisees, there was an intentional, don't associate with those folks. And we can do that too. Like we can see something, like no, I want nothing to do with that. I think sometimes it can happen unintentionally. I think that's what happened with my church. We didn't, we didn't realize what we were doing. We were kind of blind to it. But that's the thing. Like when we, when we suddenly slip into this mindset, it's putting blinders over our eyes. And we can't see the people around us. I think it's our human tendency to want to close up, to, to guard ourselves from, from things that we don't think are going to be helpful to us. But the point of what God is doing in the world is to be outward. We're to bless other people. We're to be focused outward, not just simply for ourselves. This, this is what our call is. Now, luckily, <laughs> Jesus isn't like the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees got like this very easily but Jesus isn't like that is he he invites people in right so I I would love to look and see how Jesus responds to the Pharisees and and we actually have his response on this first gray box I'd love for everyone to read it together so if you would let's read together that first gray box Jesus answered them it is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. <laughs> Jesus is always, he's always good with his words, isn't he? There's a lot that's happening here. And Jesus is, is responding to their claim, like you shouldn't be eating with sinners and tax collectors. He's like, well, no, actually. There's a couple of things I want you to know. And so there's, there's a couple layers of meaning. The first is that he's like, these people are sick, and I'm like a doctor, You say they're sick. You see that they have need. They're messed up. They need healing, right? I'm like a doctor. I didn't come to hang out with you who think you are healthy, but I came to hang out with those who are sick, who need the doctor. That's why I'm associating with them. That's why I'm here. I'm here to heal. That's kind of the first level. And they're like, okay, whatever. But I think what Jesus really wants to get to is this idea. Who is truly righteous? Jesus never actually says, does he? He doesn't actually say, oh, you guys are the righteous ones. You're the healthy ones. You don't need me. He doesn't say that. He came for the sick, not the healthy. So who's sick and who's healthy? I I think ultimately Jesus is trying to point out the Pharisees are sick too. Just as much as the tax collectors are sick, they've got messed up lives, they've got things wrong in their lives, so are the Pharisees. And I think we can even see it in the contrast in how Jesus is approaching the tax collectors versus how they are. They want nothing to do with the tax collectors. They've separated themselves, they've closed themselves off, but Jesus is opening up. He's receiving them. Right here we see the sickness of the Pharisees. They need the doctor too. They need healing. They need treatment just as much as the tax collectors. So we get this idea really underneath what Jesus is talking about. And if you're following along in the notes, everyone is sick and needs the doctor. Everyone is sick and needs the doctor. Everybody needs Jesus. Everybody is a sinner. The difference is some people know it and other people don't. 
We, we look in the history of Israel. They, they come out of Egypt. They're saved from slavery, and God takes them to the promised land. They, they hit a few bumps along the road. But now they've got the law, and they're settling the land, and things are settling down. And what happens? We get these words in the book of Judges. People who have got the law, have got everything all together. In Judges 21, we get these words. If we could put those up on the screen. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This is right after they get into the promised land and they start the cycle. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And things get messy and things get really bad and, and fall apart and everybody's doing what was right in their own eyes. And they needed deliverance. God steps in, helps them out, but they fall back into this idea. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The law doesn't save them. Those who hold on to it and do the best they can, they still fall short because everybody does what's right in his own eyes. This is what our human tendency is. Everybody is sick. We do what's right in our own eyes. But the great thing is Jesus came. He invites us in. And he wants to heal us. So we're all sick and we need the doctor. The, the difference is some know it and others don't. The tax collectors, they get it because they feel it every day. The Pharisees, they're missing it. So we, I think the message for us is maybe we need to guard against closing up. We want to we be like Jesus. We don't want to be like the Pharisees who, who put the blinders on, but we want to we be like Jesus who opens up, who invites people in. Now maybe you're here and you're, you're still trying to figure out this whole Jesus thing. Maybe you're not sure what you think about Jesus. You've still got some questions. You're trying to figure out, that's great. He's inviting you in. Yeah, he says everybody's sick. Some people know it. Some people don't. Everybody's sick, but I want to give you healing. That's the message of the gospel. He's inviting us in to receive that healing. And, and the great thing is, for, especially for those of us who are Christians, who are committed to following Jesus, it doesn't stop once we make a decision. Once we start following Jesus, it's not like the healing stops. It goes on for our entire lives. Each day, we're growing. We're being healed. Jesus is giving us treatment. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be hard times. It's not going to feel good, but we're getting healed. And that's the beauty of the gospel because Jesus invites us in. Okay, so we see the warning from the Pharisees' role in the story that we're to guard against closing up because Jesus invites us in. And that's, that's what we're supposed to do, right? We're supposed to be like Jesus. So here's the big idea, and here's what we're working towards. If you're following along in the notes, because Jesus invites us in, we're to invite others into our lives. Because Jesus invites us in, we are to invite others into our lives. If we look back at the story, we see Levi, he's the one that's been invited in, right? Jesus has called him to follow him. What does he do? He has a banquet. He invites a bunch of people into his house and he says, come meet this guy, Jesus. Look what he's done in my life. I want to share that. Levi lives out 
the transformation of the gospel. He knows Jesus invites him in and he invites others in. This is our model. This is our example. This is what the gospel does in our lives. So finally, we kind of arrive at what evangelism or what disciple making is all about. We see how this plays out for our series. So here's the answer to our question. We finally, the starting place is inviting people into our lives. This is how we begin to show and tell the gospel, by inviting people in. So there there are three principles, I think, that might be helpful for us in unpacking what this looks like. And these principles, I think, go through, you know, any different expression we might see. So number one, if you're following along in the notes, number one, be transparent and let others see your faith. Be transparent and let others see your faith. I think this means that we're honest about Jesus. And we're honest about our struggles, our questions, our victories. I think we just, we show people, this is what happens in my life with Jesus. We wear it on our sleeves. We make it, make it very visible. We let people see and catch a glimpse of what Jesus does in our life. This, this might be hard. Because our tendency is to close up and we want to guard ourselves. We want to protect the vulnerabilities, the hard moments. But I think Jesus is inviting us to open up, to really share, this is what it's like for me. This is what Jesus has been doing in my life, both good and bad. I think we're open, we're honest, we're transparent. Number two, if you're following along in the notes, create time and space in your life for others to come alongside. Create time and space in your life for others to come alongside you. I think this means that we're intentional about incorporating others into our daily life. We, we plan opportunities where we say, hey, let, let's invite so-and-so to come join us. As we're doing this, as we're having dinner, as we're sharing our story, we invite people, we, we intentionally create time and space in our schedules to let people come join us and see what faith is all about. We're called to just open up our lives so that people can step in and come alongside us. Now this probably will, will create questions. People will ask us questions, throw things at us. We may not always know the answer. That's okay. Don't feel like you always got to have the right answer to every question. But I think what we do is we allow them to journey with us and say, you know, I don't know the answer, but let's go find out together. We create time and space for people to to come alongside us as we explore our faith. Lastly, number three, we introduce people to Jesus. We introduce people to Jesus. This is the point of inviting people in. Yeah, we want them to meet us, but it's really about meeting him, right? Right? People are not projects, they're not numbers, they're not things to accomplish, we're not talking that way, but rather, we're inviting them into our lives so that they can meet him. We want to ultimately always be pointing people to Jesus. That's why we invite people in, so they can see him. So these are some of the principles, I think, about what it looks like to invite people in. The following, here are just a few examples or suggestions about maybe ways that this could look. Uh, to invite people in. Have them over for dinner. That's what Levi did. Invite people over. Say, hey, come have dinner with us and just spend time together. Or maybe you find a common interest you have with someone. Guys who love to play golf, go play golf with someone. Take that time. I'm giving you permission right now. Go play golf. Invite someone along with you. 
Or maybe it's going to a coffee shop and just sharing your story. Or maybe you mentor a younger person. Or maybe you, you find an opportunity that your family's got a you know, tradition every Saturday we go to the orchard and invite someone along with you. Find those opportunities to engage someone in friendship. So, the idea, invite people in. Just like Jesus invited us in, we're to invite others in. We're to guard against closing up, pushing people away. We're, guard, we're guarding against being separate. But we're inviting people in. So here's my final question for you. And if you're following along in the notes, here's what I want to ask you. Who can I invite into my life? Who can I invite into my life? First week we began this series, we gave you these cards. You maybe wrote some names or initials on the back. Who of these folks could you invite into your life in one way or another? I urge you to take time to pray. Pray for these people and pray for opportunities that you can share with them. You can be open. You can invite them in. Take time to seek opportunities with the Lord for those things. We invite in because Jesus invited us in. Right now, we're going to celebrate communion. And this is a great picture of Jesus inviting us in. He has his table and he says, come to my table. I invite you in. Come sit with me. When we come to his table, we are reminded that we have been invited in when we didn't deserve it. We were so broken, so messed up, and, and we're sinners, we can't even get there on our own. And Jesus picks us up and he carries us to his table. We are invited to his table. We are carried to his table. So we're going to celebrate that as an act to remind us that we are called to do the same for other people. We're called to invite them in.